0: book the 7th chapter 5 of charlotte's inheritance this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org charlotte's inheritance by mary elizabeth braddon at harold's hill the summer sun shone upon the village of harold's hill when charlotte arrived there with mrs sheldon and diana paget mr sheldon was to follow them on the same day by a later train and valentine was to come two days afterwards to spend the peaceful interval between saturday and monday with his betrothed he had seen the travellers depart from the london bridge terminus but mr sheldon had been there also and there had been no opportunity for confidential communication between the lovers of all sussex villages harold's hill is perhaps the prettiest the gray old saxon church the scattered farmhouses and pleasant rustic cottages are built on the slope of a hill and all the width of ocean lies below the rustic windows the roses and fuchsias of the cottage gardens seem all the brighter by contrast with that broad expanse of blue the fresh breath of the salt sea blends with the perfume of new-mown hay and all the homely odors of the farmyard the lark sings high in the blue vault of heaven above the church and over the blue of the sea the gull skims white in the sunshine the fisherman and the farm-laborer have their cottages side by side nestling cosily to leeward of the hilly winding road this hilly winding road in the july afternoon seemed to charlotte almost like the way to paradise it is like going to heaven di she cried with her eyes fixed on the square tower of the old grey church she wondered why sudden tears sprang to diana's eyes as she said this miss paget brushed the unbidden tears away with a quick gesture of her hand and smiled at her friend yes dear the village is very pretty isn't it it looks awfully dull said mrs sheldon with a shudder and diana i declare there isn't a single shop where are we to get our provisions i told mr sheldon st leonard's would have been a better place for us oh mamma st leonard's is the very essence of all that is tame and commonplace compared to this darling rural village look do look at that fisherman's cottage with the nets hanging out to dry in the sunshine just like a picture of hooks what's the use of going on about fishermen's cottages lotta mrs sheldon demanded peevishly fishermen's cottages won't provide us with butcher's meat where are we to get your little bit of roast mutton dr doddleson laid such a stress upon the roast mutton the sea air will do me more good than all the mutton that ever was roasted at eton mamma oh dear is this our farmhouse cried charlotte as the vehicle drew up at a picturesque gate oh what a love of a house what diamond-paned windows what sweet white curtains and a cow staring at me quite in the friendliest way across the gate oh can we be so happy as to live here diana cried mrs sheldon in a solemn voice not a single shop have we passed not so much as a post-office and as to the haberdashery i'm sure you might be reduced to rags in this place before you could get so much as a yard of glazed lining the farmhouse was one of those ideal homesteads which to the dweller in cities seems fair as the sapphire-sealed chambers of the house of solomon charlotte was enraptured by the idea that this was to be her home for the next fortnight i wish it could be for ever die she said as the two girls were inspecting the rustic dimity draperied lavender and rose-leaf perfumed bed-chambers who would wish to go back to prim suburban bayswater after this valentine and i could lodge here after our marriage it is better than wimbledon grand thoughts would come to him with the thunder of the stormy waves and on calm bright days like this the rippling water would whisper pretty fancies into his ear why to live here would make any one a poet i think i could write a novel myself if i lived here long enough after this they arranged the pretty sitting-room and placed an easy-chair by the window for charlotte an arm-chair opposite this for mrs sheldon and between the two a little table for the fancy work and books and flowers and all the small necessities of feminine existence and then while mrs sheldon prowled about the rooms and discovered so many faults and made so many objections as to give evidence of a fine faculty for invention unsuspected in her hitherto charlotte and diana explored the garden and peeped at the farmyard where the friendly cow still stared over the white gate just as she had stared when the fly came to a stop as if she had not yet recovered from the astonishment created in her pastoral mind by that phenomenal circumstance and then charlotte was suddenly tired and there came upon her that strange dizziness which was one of her most frequent symptoms diana led her immediately back to the house and established her comfortably in her easy chair i must be very ill she said plaintively for even the novelty of this pretty place cannot make me happy long Mr. Sheldon arrived in the evening, bringing with him a supply of that simple medicine which Charlotte took three times a day. He had remembered that there was no dispensing chemist at Harold's Hill, and that it would be necessary to send to St. Leonard's for the medicine, and had therefore brought with him a double quantity of the mild tonic it was very kind of you to think of it though i really don't believe the stuff does me any good said charlotte nancy Woolper used to get it for me at bayswater she made quite a point of fetching it from the chemists herself indeed exclaimed mr sheldon nancy troubled herself about your medicine did she yes papa and about me altogether if i were her own daughter she could scarcely have seemed more anxious the stockbroker made a mental note of this in the memorandum book of his brain mrs woolper was officious was she and suspicious altogether a troublesome sort of person i think a few weeks of workhouse fare would be wholesome for that old lady he said to himself there are some people who never know when they are well off saturday afternoon came in due course after a long and dreary interval as it seemed to charlotte for whom time travelled very slowly so painful was the weariness of illness now and then a sudden flash of excitement brought the old brightness to her face the old gaiety to her accents but the brightness faded very soon and the languor of illness was very perceptible punctual to the hour at which he was expected mr hawkehurst appeared in radiant spirits laden with new magazines delighted with the village enraptured with the garden enchanted with the sea full of talk and animation with all sorts of news to tell his beloved such and such a book was a failure such and such a comedy was a fiasco jones's novel had made a hit brown's picture was the talk of the year and charlotte must see the picture that had been talked about and the play that had been condemned when she returned to town for an hour the lover sat in the pretty farmhouse parlour talking together thus the summer sea and the garden flowers before them and a bird singing high in the calm blue heaven charlotte's talk was somewhat languid though it was perfect happiness for her to be seated thus with her betrothed by her side but valentine's gaiety of spirits never flagged and when mrs sheldon hinted to him that too long a conversation might fatigue the dear invalid he left the parlour with a smile upon his face and a cheery promise to return after an hour's ramble he did not ramble far he went straight to a little wooden summer-house in the remotest corner of the humble garden and thither diana paget followed him she had learned the language of his face in the time of their daily companionship and she had seen a look as he left the house which told her of the struggle his cheerfulness had cost him you must not be down-hearted valentine she said as she went into the summer-house where he sat in a listless attitude with his arms lying loosely folded on the rusty table he did not answer her you don't think her worse much worse do you valentine worse i have seen death in her face to-day he cried and then he let his forehead fall upon his folded arms and sobbed aloud diana stood by his side watching that outburst of grief when the passionate storm of tears was past she comforted him as best she might the change so visible to him was not so plain to her he had hoped that the breath of the ocean would have magical power to restore the invalid he had come to harold's hill full of hope and instead of the beginning of an improvement he saw the progress of decay why did not sheldon send for the doctor he asked indignantly the physician who has attended her he might have telegraphed to that man charlotte is taking dr doddleson's medicine said diana and all his directions are most carefully obeyed what of that if she grows worse the doctor should see her daily hourly if necessary and if he cannot cure her another doctor should be sent for good heavens diana are we to let her fade and sink from us before our eyes i will go back to london at once and bring that man doddleson down by the night mail your going back to london would grieve an alarm charlotte you can telegraph for the doctor or at least mr sheldon can do so it would not do for you to interfere without his permission it would not do echoed valentine angrily do you think that i am going to stand upon punctilio or to consider what will do or will not do above all things you must avoid alarming charlotte pleaded diana do you think i do not know that do you think i did not feel that just now when i sat by her side talking in ain rubbish about books and plays and pictures while every stolen glance at my darling's face was like a dagger thrust into my heart i will not alarm her i will consult mr sheldon will do anything everything to save her to save her oh my god has it come to that he grew a little calmer presently under diana's influence and went slowly back to the house he avoided the open window by which charlotte was sitting he had not yet schooled himself to meet her questioning looks he went to the room where they were to dine a duller and darker apartment than the parlour and here he found mr sheldon reading a paper one of the eternal records of the eternal money market the stockbroker had been in and out of the house all day now sauntering by the seashore now leaning moodily with folded arms on the garden gate meditative and silent as the cow that stared at charlotte now pacing the garden walks with his hands in his pockets and his head bent diana who in her anxiety kept a close watch upon mr sheldon's movements had noted his restlessness and perceived in it the sign of growing anxiety on his part she knew that he had once called himself surgeon-dentist and had some medical knowledge if not so much as he took credit for possessing he must therefore be better able to judge the state of charlotte's health than utterly ignorant observers if he were uneasy there must be real cause for uneasiness it was on this account and on this account only that diana watched him he must love her better than i gave him credit for being able to love any one miss paget said to herself dear girl the coldest heart is touched by her sweetness mr sheldon looked up from his newspaper as valentine came into the room and saluted the visitor with a friendly nod glad to see you hawkehurst he said semper fidelis and that kind of thing the very model of devoted lovers why man alive how glum you look i think i have reason to look glum answered valentine gravely i have seen charlotte yes and don't you find her improving gradually of course that constitutional languor is not shaken off in a hurry but surely you think her improving brightening brightening with the light that never shone on earth or sea god help me i i, I am the merest child the veriest coward the he made a great effort and stifled the sob that had well-nigh broken his voice mr sheldon he continued quietly i believe your stepdaughter is dying dying good heavens my dear hawkehurst this alarm is most most premature there is no cause for fear at present no cause i give you my word as a medical man no cause for alarm at present that means my darling will not be taken from me to-night or to-morrow i shall have a few days breathing-time yes i understand the doom is upon us i saw the shadow of death upon her face to-day my dear hawkehurst my dear sheldon for pity's sake don't treat me as if i were a woman or a child let me know my fate if if this the worst most bitter of all calamities god's hand raised against me in punishment of past sins sinned lightly and recklessly in the days when my heart had no stake in the game of destiny can inflict upon me if this deadly sorrow is bearing down upon me let me meet it like a man let me die with my eyes uncovered oh my dearest my fondest redeeming angel of my ill-spent life have you been only a supernal visitant after all shining on me for a little while to depart when your mission of redemption is accomplished powers above thought mr Shell, what nonsense these sentimental magazine writers can talk he was in no wise melted by the lover's anguish though it was very real such a grief as this was outside the circle in which his thoughts revolved this display of grief was unpleasant to him it grated painfully upon his nerves as some of poor tom halliday's little speeches had done of old when the honest-hearted yorkshireman lay on his deathbed, and the young man's presence and the young man's anxiety were alike inconvenient tell me the truth mr sheldon valentine said presently with suppressed intensity is there any hope for my darling any hope mr sheldon considered for some moments before he replied to this question he pursed up his lips and bent his brows with the same air of business-like deliberation that he might have assumed while weighing the relative merits of the first and second debenture bonds of some doubtful railway company you ask me a trying question hawkehurst he said at last if you ask me plainly whether i like the turn which charlotte's illness has taken within the last few weeks i must tell you frankly i do not there is a persistent want of tone a visible decay of vital power which i must confess has caused me some uneasiness you see the fact is there is a radical weakness of constitution as miss paget a very sensible girl and acute observer herself has remarked indeed a hereditary weakness and against this medicine is sometimes unavailing you need apprehend no neglect on my part hawkehurst all that can possibly be done is being done dr doddleson's instructions are carefully obeyed and is this dr doddleson competent to grapple with the case asked valentine i never heard of him as a great man that fact proves how little you know of the medical profession i know nothing of it i have had no need for doctors in my life and you think this dr doddleson really clever his position is a sufficient answer to that question will you let me telegraph for him this afternoon immediately you cannot telegraph from this place no but from st leonard's i can do you think i'm afraid of a five-mile walk but why send for dr doddleson the treatment he prescribed is the treatment we are now following to the letter to summon him down here would be the merest folly our poor charlotte's illness is so far free from all alarming symptoms you do not see the change in her that i can see cried valentine piteously for mercy's sake mr sheldon let me have my way in this i cannot stand by and see my dear one fading and do nothing nothing to save her let me send for this man let me see him myself and hear what he says you can have no objection to his coming since he is the man you have chosen for charlotte's adviser it can only be a question of expense let this particular visit be my affair i can afford to pay for my step-daughter's medical attendance without any help from your purse mr hawkehurst said the stockbroker with offended pride there is one element in the case which you appear to ignore what is that the alarm which this summoning of a doctor from london must cause in charlotte's mind it need cause no alarm she can be told that dr doddleson has come to this part of the world for a sunday's change of air the visit can appear to be made en passant it will be easy to arrange that with the doctor before he sees her as you please mr hawkehurst the stockbroker replied coldly i consider such a visit to the last degree unnecessary but if dr doddleson's coming can give you any satisfaction by all means let him come the expense involved in summoning him is of the smallest consideration to me my position with regard to my wife's daughter is one of extreme responsibility and i am ready to perform all the obligations of that position you are very good your conduct in relation to charlotte and myself has been beyond all praise it is quite possible that i am over anxious but there was a look in that dear face no i cannot forget that look it struck terror to my heart i will go at once to st leonard's i can tell charlotte that i am obliged to telegraph to the printer about my copy you will not object to that white lie not at all i think it essential that charlotte should not be alarmed you had better stop to dine there will be time for the telegram after dinner i will not risk that answered valentine i cannot eat or drink till i have done something to lessen this wretched anxiety he went back to the room where charlotte was sitting by the open window through which there came the murmur of waves the humming of drowsy bees the singing of birds all the happy voices of happy nature in a harmonious chorus o oh god wilt thou take her away from such a beautiful world he asked and change all the glory of earth to darkness and desolation for me his heart rebelled against the idea of her death to save her to win her back to himself from the jaws of death he was ready to promise anything to do anything all my days will i give to thy service if thou wilt spare her to me in his heart he said to his god if thou dost not i will be an infidel and a pagan the vilest and most audacious of sinners better to serve lucifer than the god who could so afflict me and this is where the semi enlightened christian betrays the weakness of his faith while the sun shines and the sweet gospel story reads to him like some tender arcadian idol all love and promise he is firm in his allegiance but when the dark hour comes he turns his face to the wall with anger and disappointment in his heart and will have no further commune with the god who has chastised him his faith is the faith of the grateful leper who being healed was eager to return and bless his divine benefactor it is not the faith of abraham or of job of paul or of stephen valentine told his story about the printers and the copy for the cheapside magazine about which there had arisen some absurd mistake only to be set right by a telegram it was not a very clear account but charlotte did not perceive the vagueness of the story she thought only of the one fact that valentine must leave her for some hours the evening will seem so long without you she said that is the worst part of my illness the time is so long so weary diana is the dearest and kindest of friends she is always trying to amuse me and reads to me for hours though i know she must often be tired of reading aloud so long but even the books i was once so fond of do not amuse me the words seem to float indistinctly in my brain and all sorts of strange images mix themselves up with the images of the people in the book Di has been reading The Bride of Lammermoor all this morning, but the pain and weariness I feel seem to be entangled with Lucy and Edgar somehow, and the dear book gave me no pleasure. My darling, you you are too weak to listen to Diana's reading. It is very kind of her to try to amuse you, but but it would be better for you to rest altogether. Any kind of mental exertion may help to retard your recovery.' he had placed himself behind her chair and was bending over the pillows to speak to her just now he felt himself unequal to the command of his countenance he bent his head until his lips touched the soft brown hair and kissed those loose soft tresses passionately the thought occurred to him that a day might come when he should again kiss that soft brown hair with a deeper passion with a sharper pain and when charlotte would not know of his kisses or pity his pain oh valentine cried charlotte you are crying i can see your face in the glass he had forgotten the glass the little rococo mirror with an eagle hovering over the top of the frame which hung above the old-fashioned chiffonier i am not so very ill dear i am not indeed the girl continued turning in her chair with an effort and clasping her lover's hands you must not distress yourself like this valentine dear valentine i shall be better by and by i cannot think that i shall be taken from you he had broken down altogether by this time he buried his face in the pillows and contrived to stifle the sobs that would come and then after a sharp struggle he lifted his face and bent over the chair once more to kiss the invalid's pale upturned forehead my dear one you shall not if love can guard and keep you no dear i cannot believe that god will take you from me heaven may be your fittest habitation but such sweet spirits as yours are sorely needed upon earth i will be brave dearest one brave and hopeful in the mercy of heaven and now i must go and telegraph to my tiresome printer au revoir he hurried away from the farmhouse and started at a rattling pace along the pleasant road, with green waving corn on his left and broad blue ocean on his right, I can get a fly to bring me back from St. Leonard's. He thought I should only lose time by hunting for a vehicle here. He was at St. Leonard's station within an hour after leaving the farm. He dispatched the message in Mr. Sheldon's name and took care to make it urgent. End of chapter Five at Harold's Hill.